I grew up and was trained in a very cookie-cutter approach to evangelism. And it was effective. It, it worked. Um, but I had the presentation down, you know. I, I learned all the lines. I learned all the illustrations. I learned all the verses that went with everything. And I had it down cold. I mean, I could recite it well. You know, Jesus loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life, John 10.10. 10. But humanity is sin and, separ- and separated herself from God. Romans 3.23. But Jesus was the provision. He provided the provision of our sin to cover that over. Romans 5.8. Now we must respond in faith to the work that Jesus has done. John 1.12. I had it down and I could recite it well and it worked. And I trained others, led mission trips, and I trained this, and it, and it worked for a time. And then, then I noticed something. It wasn't working quite as well. It hit me on one mission trip in particular, or actually a series of them. We would share stories about what had happened and who had come to faith, and I'm listening to the stories of the people who came to faith, and it was all people who we had developed friendships with. One guy in particular, his name was Scott. He was the uh, head guy of the, of the grounds of the whole of the school system for Troy, Montana. And Scott's a great guy. We met him first time in Detroit, and we spent years just kind of working with Scott. And we, we did all kinds of stuff for him. We painted the schools. He provided the materials. We provided the labor. We, we redid the baseball field. We redid their playground. We did a bunch of yard work for him, all kinds of stuff. When we first got there, we had the conversation. We presented him with the presentation, and he tolerated it. I mean, he listened to it, but he wanted the labor. He didn't respond. He, he was just, okay, if i got to put up with this, so you'll do the work. That's fine. But we befriended him. He became just a friend, and we'd talk. We'd just talk about life. We'd get to hear where he's coming from, his background, his, his worldview, and all this kind of stuff. And over a course of several years, we continued to meet with him and talk with him and befriend him. Then all of a sudden, one time, we know we kept inviting, we kept sharing, and then one evening, we were doing a, a park night. You know, we just, we had a band in the park. And we had inflatables and all kinds of stuff going on. And we invited Scott, and we'd invited him many times before. But this time, he showed up. The next time, night, he came again. And he brought his family. And all of a sudden, we began to see this change in Scott's life. But it happened over a course of time, over a period of time, out of a friendship And that messed me up a little bit, you know, because I liked the gospel presentation where I could, you know, lay it out there 5, 10, maybe 30 minutes max. And I presented the gospel. Now they can respond and I can wrap it up and it's a done deal, right? And I've got it and I know that I know that I know and they know that they know that they know and it's saved and we're good. And I began to scratch my head and wonder, how come this isn't working quite as well anymore? What do I, what should I do? And so I went to... Uh, a friend of mine, an older man of the faith who I respected, and he led ministry for a lot of years in his 70s, and I just asked him, what, what's going on? Can you help me understand this? What, is there anything I should tweak, anything I should do differently? And he said, Steve, I've been doing ministry a long time now, and you need to know the world has changed. What used to be understood is not understood anymore. Where the world used to look at the Bible and there was this general acceptance of biblical truth, whether we believe it or not, we at least said, okay, this is true, it's worth listening to. That's not understood anymore. That's not generally accepted anymore. 
Whereas in the world, there used to be this generally accepted moral code that everyone just kind of abided by. That general moral code is not generally accepted anymore. The world has changed. And so what's needed is not necessarily a presentation, but a conversation. And I got to thinking about this, and then I read again the passage on the Emmaus Road, where Jesus just befriends a couple of guys, and he journeys with them, and he walks with them, and he has a conversation. That he has modeled for us how to share Jesus with others. The destination, we always pray, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, the importance of the journey that happens as the conversation takes place with a couple of friends. It's found in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Luke 24, 13 through 35. We're beginning a new sermon series this week titled, This Versus That. And we're going to spend the next six weeks right on this passage, looking at this road to Emmaus. We're going to analyze this passage every way you can analyze it, okay? I mean, by the end of this thing, you know, I pray that it will be a passage that you love, that you love this road to Emmaus, and that it will be a road well-traveled for all of us. And so as we, as we read it and we study it over the course of this next six weeks, I think we'll see that this road, it calls us to a relationship with God that is so authentic, so natural, so genuine, that we never meet another friend and don't think to introduce him to Jesus. So, let's go ahead. We'll join Jesus and these friends on this old Emmaus road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, where we learn to share Jesus like Jesus. Let's check it out. Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going from village we're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village 
to which they were going, he acted as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and this day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us up the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. All right, so this is the first in a a series of six weeks on the Emmaus Road. And really the purpose this morning is just to kind of give us that 10,000-foot overview. Just just to really get up high and look and kind of paint a picture for where we're headed over the next six weeks. And we believe so passionately um, that the lessons learned from this Emmaus Road will be so extremely profitable to all of us that we want to continue the conversation during the week. So our leadership team, we're having a conversation about these practices and how to put these strategies into place, and, and we want to make those available to you. So if you just follow our Facebook page during the week, we're going to be posting these conversations and how this kind of plays itself out and just kind of inviting you to be in the conversation and how to think through, okay, so how does this work in my life? What principles can I apply? So... Uh, so we just invite you, get on Facebook, check it out, follow us, and, 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 and join in the conversation. Don't let it just happen on Sunday morning, but let's keep it throughout the week. And, you know, one of, one of the things that I really don't have a ton of time to get into, though, this uh, morning is worldview. And it's what we're going to talk about this week and kind of our conversation that we'll put on Facebook. But a worldview is simply a lens through which someone sees the world. Right? It's how we view the world. And when it comes to worldviews, everybody's got one, right? They're kind of like belly buttons. Everybody's got a worldview. Everybody's got a lens through which they see the world. And whether they understand it or not, we, we all have one. We all, can, we, we all have that. We have a background. We have experiences. We have education. We, we have training. We have relationships. And they all impact how we see the world. And one of our jobs, one of our responsibilities is to try to get to understand how other people see the world, to understand their worldview, the lens through which they see everything. And at the same time, to understand our worldview. We strive to have a biblical worldview, that the way we see the world is always through the lens of Scripture. And any any part of our worldview that is not seen through the lens of Scripture. We want Christ to illuminate that so that we don't think that way anymore. We want to think rightly. We want to think biblically. And so, you know, we're going to post a conversation just about this topic and how to, how to get to know people's worldviews and that kind of thing. But right now, I, I want to walk through just this passage with you and kind of highlight some topics that we'll be looking at over the next, uh, the, the next five weeks. And I, I believe that this passage really instructs how to do evangelism in a post-Christian, post-modern America. And 
because Jesus was living in a pre-Christian, okay, pre-Christ mindset there in, in Jerusalem. So there's a lot of similarities. Notice the first thing Jesus does. He just joins these guys and walks with them. You see that? I mean, he just, he just joins the walk. He doesn't stop them and say, hey, let, let me give you this presentation that I have laid out. Can, can I just share a few things? No, he just joins the walk. He, he journeys with them. He doesn't even ask where they're going. He doesn't, hey, where are you guys headed? You st- staying at Emmaus? You going further? What? Where's the destination? He's not looking for the destination. He just joins them on their walk. See, one of the things that we have to learn to do is to be purposeful in establishing genuine friendships with people around us. That we just value people for who they are. You know, and we just, we just want to know them. And hey, where are you walking? I'll come along. Let's go. I'll, let me just walk with you. And you know, growing up, I remember, you know, I lived in a neighborhood called Cardinal Oaks. Okay, grew up there. And everybody, we, we had block parties in our neighborhood. You know, and everyone would come out, we'd grill out and block parties and talk. You'd just know your neighbors. And in fact, I could go around right now and I could think of all, all my neighbors. I had the Tackets over here and had the, had the Weinbergs over there and the Jacksons and the Brown. I could go around, I could tell you the whole neighborhood. It's not really that way anymore, you know? People don't just hang out on their front porches. I was just a kid, and I still knew everybody in the neighborhood. It's not that way anymore. People don't just hang out on their front porches and have block parties, and you just come by, and, hey, how you doing? Now, nobody even has a front porch. If you have one, it's only there so, like, Amazon can deliver a package to you. And you might not even know the package is there for a couple days because nobody even goes through the front door. Now we have porches in the back, right? You put the patio out the back and we just cocoon that thing off with the fence. No one even has to know we're there. Turn the lights off because that's even better. Then they won't even think they're there. No one will even knock on the door. That's even better. You see, the world has changed. It's changed. People don't, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I would call students. They would not answer the phone. I would text them immediately after I called them, and they would text me right back. And we'd just start texting back and forth. But they did not answer the phone. Why? Because they don't want to get hung up in some kind of long conversation. They just want it quick, done. Okay, what do you want to know? Here's, here's, here's the answer, boom, done. I don't want to get caught up in some kind of long conversation. But it's not just them. I do the same thing. I mean, if I get a call coming in and it's a number I don't know, especially like an area code I don't recognize. I mean, you better believe it. That thing's going straight to voicemail. They can screen it for me, and then I can decide later, am I going to call them back or not? And so this is kind of the, this is the society we're living in, right? You get an email, and if it's just paragraphs long, it's like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to read this. You got to keep it to 140 characters or less. So when we're engaging people in, in this world that doesn't really want to be engaged because we're happy just to hide behind our screens and have electronic relationships and, 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 and people who just, we get a little uneasy, we get a little suspicious of people who just, just really try to be part of our life. You have to understand that if it's just a presentation, people are used to presentations. What they want is a friend. 
Because genuine friends in our society, they don't happen as often anymore. Where, where you just meet someone who genuinely cares about you. A, a neighbor who genuinely cares about you. We're starting a, a, a sermon series in the fall about what a good neighbor looks like, about how to be a good neighbor. I've already started studying for this thing. We started in, in November, so just kind of be looking out for it. But I'm already just like totally convicted and totally challenged by what a good neighbor looks like biblically because I look at my own life and I think, man, I've got a long way to go. And so I'm, you know, I'm excited to get there, but it, but it hits here too because the, the culture we live in, and so easily we can just adapt to culture and not be the type of neighbor, not be the type of friend that we're called to be. We, we can just, hey, I got the presentation down. And that's good. Maybe good. But is it best? Is it the most effective? And, you know, Jesus... These guys, you meet them, and they're deep in conversation, right? It's as if they don't even know Jesus is coming. They do not initiate with Jesus. Do you see that? They don't say, hey, Jesus, come on, join. Just You want to walk with us? Hey, buddy, how you doing? Come on, walk with us. No, Jesus inserts himself into a conversation that these two guys are having. And it's not like he just jumps up, you know. I mean, my understanding of the Holy Land and especially the, the road um, from Jerusalem to Emmaus is that this is kind of like a desert area. Okay, it's not like Jesus was just hiding out and he surprised them. Oh, we didn't even know you were there. No, they would have seen him. They would have seen him kind of walking along. They would have known he was coming up. He didn't just surprise them, but he had to insert himself into their journey. They were not going to initiate it. He had to insert himself. We live in a culture where people are guarded, where people kind of keep keep to themselves, that they're happy with just electronic relationships, hang out in the backyard instead of the front yard. We, we, we know the culture, and this is how it is. And we have to be the ones who are willing to initiate. Say, hey, I want to get to know you. What's going on in your life? How's things going? Where are you from? You have kids, grandkids. What do you do for a living? And you just ask questions where you genuinely care and get to know the person, and you just befriend people. You know, with, with Scott there in Montana, he was not doing the initiating, you know? He, he was not saying, hey, you guys want to come over to my house and have dinner? No, we had to initiate with him time after time after time after time, and eventually he showed up. But it, but it took the relationship. It, it took the friendship where he knew that, hey, we care about him. And that he began just to value us, care about us, and want that relationship. I was having a conversation with my nine-year-old daughter just uh, past week or two ago, and Bree, and we're, we're in the car and on our way home. And I say to Bree, hey, do you know where we're headed? And Bree kind of mimics me what I do sometimes. She said, to the homestead. I said, yeah, that's right. And then a couple moments later, she says, Daddy, why do you call it the homestead? That's kind of weird. 
I said, well, I'm, I'm just kind of teasing a little, just kind of having fun with you. But another reason is, do you know what the purpose of our home is? It's like, well, to live there. So yeah, that's a big part of it. But ultimately, our home is our basis for ministry. I mean, that, that's our home base for ministry. This is our ministry headquarters. And we want to create a place where we enjoy just inviting people over. And we have people over. And we're having meals with them and we're hanging out with them. We want you to be able to want to invite your friends here. Because it's a place where we want to see ministry happen. You know, we, we live in a culture where people just want to close their doors and say, I'm just going to keep to myself. <laughs> you know, I'm good. You know, our family unit here, we're good. No one even has to know we're home. But we're called to live counter-culturally. And so I'm trying to get her to understand that even at a young age and to remind myself that this is not my home. This is my mission field. I am called on mission to live as an ambassador here. That's what God's called me to do. And so I've got to initiate and I've got to create a home that looks like that. You, you look at this story and you see Jesus who initiates. And then shortly after that, you see one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Did, did you catch it in verse 21? Did, did you catch that? These friends say to Jesus, We had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. We heard the story, how even today, how the tomb is empty. The ladies went to check on it. You know, people looked, and sure enough, yeah, it's empty. No one, no one, no one saw Jesus, but we had hoped. We, we just can't hope anymore after the crucifixion. And so Jesus, he speaks bluntly to them, he speaks directly to them, but he's walking with them. He, he doesn't just stop them in his tracks. See, there's this need, there, there's got to be a way to establish just a natural, authentic friendship with people so that you can speak directly. And this is what Jesus does. He's been walking with them. He's heard them. He's heard their thinking. And remember, he's asking them questions. He says, what's going on? Oh, and they say, well, haven't you heard? I mean, are you the only one here in the whole place who doesn't know what's going on these last couple of days? And Jesus says, what things? What things are you talking about? Everything just happened to him. He knows better than anyone what's happened. But he's asking them, hey, what's your worldview? What, you, what are you thinking about? How do you interpret what's happened? And then he hears, you know, we don't have any hope. We had hoped. But that hope is gone. You see, we, we have to understand how just over-marketed people are. And, and the need for this genuine relationship so that you're able to talk bluntly and, and in, a, in a place where they're going to listen. Because we, we live in a culture, and it's part of the reason probably why we've kind of secluded ourselves a little bit, is because we're, everybody's a target, you know? There's an ad campaign for you everywhere you go. 
They're trying to tell you, hey, you need this product, you got to do that. You go everywhere. You got billboards, you got signs, you got internet ads, you got stuff in your mail. Everywhere you go, you're, you're a mark saying, hey, you need this. This is going to make your life better. If you don't have this, you better sign up. And so we know it and we get suspicious. Can I trust these people? I mean, we're doing the new giving platform you've heard us talk about, and we've sent out the email reminders. And, and one person, they, they emailed us back, hey, is this for real? I just want to make sure. And it's a logical question today, right? And we, yeah, it's good. You can sign up. It's okay. It's safe. But these guys have to know that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm just hanging with you because I want to hang with you. I'm walking with you because I just want to be with you. I enjoy your company. You're not just a mark that I'm going to make a presentation to. You're a friend that I can have a conversation with. He doesn't say anything about where they're going. He listens, and then he talks, and then he explains. Evangelism today, more times than not, begins with listening. Begins with listening. More times than not, it's about taking the time to hear someone's story, to hear their background, to hear how they got to where they are over a course of time, understanding who they are, where, where they've been, how they see the world, all these different things. It begins with listening. You know, it's one of the most precious gifts we can ever give to somebody is just our time and our willingness to hear them, to listen to them. I mean, right now in our ADD world, you know, everybody's just moving from the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. But to actually hear what people say and to have a conversation based on that. And did you see that? That's what Jesus did. He answers their questions, and he answers their questions by preaching the meta-narrative. That, that is the whole story of Scripture, the big story. It says that he goes from Moses to all the prophets, Paul did this too, if you remember in the book of Acts. That language, when you hear that, Moses and all the prophets, that's code for the whole Bible at that time, right? The whole Old Testament, the whole Bible, their scriptures at that time. Jesus is walking on this road long enough that he's able to explain all of the Old Testament scriptures at that time and how they point to Jesus. Now, he told Cleopas and his friend all of it, how in the fullness of time Christ came and that he had to do this from Genesis to Malachi and the importance of the crucifixion and the resurrection and how the passages of Isaiah, how they talked about this, about how the way he would live his life and, and what would happen and what would come. He just tells the whole story, but he puts the story in context for, for what they're thinking, for what they're seeing, for how they see the world. He explains why the resurrection is such good news, why it had to happen, how the crucifixion was predicted, not to be surprised that you can hope again. He went through the whole Bible. This is who I am. This is what Moses said. This is what the prophets said. And this has been God's plan from all along. You see, you see how he does that? Well, you see, in this ADD culture, it's reached the church too. Because we just want to explain the context of this meta-narrative really quick. Hey, here's the highlights. Here's the four important verses that you got to know. Boom, now you can be saved. Here's the presentation. we got to boil down five, ten minutes for you. If you got a few questions, maybe 20. 
See, believers in our culture today, we cannot settle for a Cliff Notes presentation anymore, a Cliff Notes version of the Bible anymore, because now today the Bible, the authority of the Bible, the truth of the Bible is in question. So you have to be able to reason with people from the scriptures why you believe what you believe and exactly what it is you believe. Because to say the Bible says doesn't carry the weight that it used to. The Bible says, okay, big deal. Why should I trust that? See, the world... It's changed, and so, so we have to be ready. Jesus, he explains the whole thing. We've we got to know what we believe and why we believe it. Then did you notice? After explaining all these things, the meta-narrative of Scripture, he acts as if he's just going to keep on walking. Do you see that? He acted like he's going to go a little further. They're saying, hey, we're going to stop. We're going to camp for the night. Stop right here. We'll, we'll get to where we're going tomorrow. And he acts like he's just going to go a little further. Do you see that? He waited for them to invite him. He he didn't just keep on pushing. I need the answer now. He didn't even say that he explained to them that all this was him. He doesn't even tell them that all that the Moses and the prophets predicted happened to him. He doesn't even tell them that he is Jesus. He just explains it to them. And he trusts the Holy Spirit to work in their life. And then, and he acted like, I'm just going to keep on walking. And they said, hey, will you stay? Will you camp with us? You want to have a meal with us? Want to hang out? See, in our, in our culture, I mean, we, we're not willing to just keep on walking, you know. If it was us, we're going to ask Cleopas and his friend right there, right now, hey, do you understand? Are you willing to hope again? Here's the prayer. Repeat after me. But they're not ready. And so if you push them when they're not ready, you might just push them too far and then they don't want to listen anymore. Say, ah, (laughs) no thanks. Jesus was okay just leaving it where it was. He was okay just to keep on walking. He was making sure that they invited him. And then you have this beautiful picture of hospitality, biblical hospitality, how he ate with them. You know, the biblical practice of hospitality, it so counters the world's teaching of tolerance. You know, that, that is the good news that the world offers today, you know, tolerance. We have to be tolerant people. We have to tolerate everything that's going on. You understand that the gospel of tolerance is a hateful, dehumanizing gospel. It is no good. I mean, if I get home today, let's, let's, or, or you know, tomorrow, I get home, and Steph says, oh, you're back. I'll tolerate you being here. That doesn't really make me feel super good, you know? Let's just say you show up here to Central. You know, you're new, you're new here, your first time with us. Someone slides over next to you, oh, welcome to Central. We're very tolerant people here. We're going to tolerate you being here. You ever coming back? I mean, come on. No, That's the best that the world can offer. We'll tolerate you. 
We'll just live and let live. You do whatever you want. We really don't care. We're just not going to get in your way. The biblical teaching of hospitality is so much more than that because it engages and it says, I value you as a person. I care about the choices you make, the decisions you make, and how that impacts your life. I I care about what's going on with you. This is biblical hospitality. This is not just, I will tolerate you and you can do whatever you want to do. No, this is, I love you and I want to initiate into your life. And I want to show that there's an objective truth because God has designed us and he has made us and so he knows how we live best. And this is good. See, tolerance, it looks at people's, their life just unraveling. They're making whatever choices they want to make. And you see what happens? Hey, just keep on making the decisions you want to make. Here's a safe injection spot for you. We'll tolerate you doing that. It's hateful. It's dehumanizing. Because it doesn't place any value on the person. It's just this live and let live mentality. And you compare that to the biblical view of hospitality, which says no matter who you are, No matter what choices you have made, God has created you with inherent value because you are made in the image of God. And therefore, you have value, you have worth, you are to be cared about, you are to be loved, you are to be initiated into by Christians who love you. See, we see people differently. We are commanded as children of the Father to care for the stranger. To love the orphan, the widow, the foreigner in our midst. We are commanded to welcome them to the tables, to to eat with them, to initiate into them. You hear the critique that Jesus' enemies made against him? You remember what it was? He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He eats with them. How outrageous would this prophet, this holy man... Eat with sinners. See, that was scandalous. They looked at themselves. (laughs) We're tolerant. (laughs) They can sin over there. We're okay. We're we're going to distance ourselves from that. We're not going to have anything to do with that. We're above that. Jesus comes in. You want to eat with me? Come over to my table. (laughs) Let's have a meal. Oh, you're doing this, this, and this, all this junk and mess in your life? It's okay. I'm coming along in the journey with you. Let me get to know you. How'd you end up here? He ate with them. He builds friendships with them, friendships that otherwise would not be built if you simply tolerate people. He ate with sinners, and he said the blessing And he said it here in the Emmaus Road too. Did did you see that? They invite him. Jesus acts like he's going to keep on going and they invite him. Hey, will you you, want to stay with us? Jesus stays. He breaks the bread. He says the blessing. Sometimes when I'm out with friends, whatever, and people, the the server comes, they, they bring the food to the table. And sometimes there's that awkward moment of silence, you know, okay, who's going to pray? Steve's a pastor, you know, so maybe he should pray. But I want to look, you know, maybe I should pray so he knows that I pray at meals. 
And then sometimes there, there's like a game that's played. I don't know if you've ever seen this, right? There, there's a game that's played, and people start putting up their thumbs. Oh, your last one, you got to pray. <laughs> Jesus never had that problem. He was always the first one to say, I'll pray, because he was always giving thanks to the Father. It, it, it was never, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I get my thumb up first. It was always, let's pray. He was always giving thanks to the Father. And it must have been something so fascinating, so intriguing, so amazing to hear Jesus pray. Because it's the one thing that the disciples asked him to teach them. Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Because they witnessed Jesus who has this authentic, genuine relationship with the Father. And they say, I want a relationship like that. This isn't just some kind of presentation. He's not just telling us some good stuff. I mean, look at how it's coming out through his life. I want that relationship. Teach us how to talk to God that way. See, people watch. People watch. And they're watching you. And they're watching me. And they want to know, is there a qualitative difference in your life because of your relationship with Jesus? Is there a qualitative difference in your life because you say you believe in the risen Christ? Is there a qualitative difference in the way you have a marriage? Is there a qualitative difference in the way you raise your kids? Is there a qualitative difference in the way you grandparent? Is, is there a qualitative difference to your joy and your excitement and your optimism for life? Or do you look and say, well... Yeah, the world is a lot worse, you know. I, I totally agree with that, everything you're saying. that It's changed and it's all changed for the worse. Or do you understand, do you have this sense of optimism in your life that God is working together all things so that one day he will be seen as all in all? That that is taking place right now. And so we're the most optimistic, most joyful people on the planet because we serve a higher king. See, people want to know, is there a qualitative difference in your life? They're paying attention. They're watching for that because they want to know that we're for real. One of the problems that we have with evangelism is not that we don't know what to say. It's that our lives have robbed the meaning of the words. And then Jesus left them. Do you see, you see how the story ends? He, he didn't tell them what to do next. He left them. He, he, he left them with the hunger. He, he didn't tell them, hey, you got to get back up. You turn around. Instead of going to Emmaus, when you turn around, go back to Jerusalem and explain everything what, what you've heard. He, he didn't even explain to them, hey, okay, now that we've had this conversation, just want you to know now that you're seeing this, you know I'm Jesus. Here's what you need to do now. He doesn't do any of that. He, he just trusts that the Spirit is going to do his work in their lives. And they're going to know what to do next. That, that God is going to introduce these disciples to other more mature disciples who are going to continue that discipleship process on. That he has journeyed with them as long as he was able to journey with them. 
But now he's just got to trust that God is going to continue the work that has began in their lives. See, this road to Emmaus, it's a lot like the road that we walk in this postmodern, post-Christian world. It's a lot like the road that Jesus walked with these two friends to Emmaus. And we'll spend the next five weeks really getting down into the details of what he was doing so that we can be more effective as we share Jesus and impact people here. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as you revealed your son to us, it wasn't just through a presentation. But God, it it was so that you would be present with us in our journey for the totality of our lives. That you didn't just reveal your son through clouds or through some kind of uh, messenger, that you didn't just write it in in the leaves or something, but that you sent your son to live with us, to journey alongside us, to love us, to welcome us while we were sinners to your table and to eat with us. God, in this busy, hectic world that we live, help us to create the time, the space, to realize that we live on mission here. Help us not to fall prey to the pattern of the world where we just seclude and sequester ourselves off and call it good, but that we would initiate into people's lives to build authentic, genuine friendships because we love them and care about them. And God, out of the overflow of our love for you that we just cannot help but share Jesus with them because it's who we are. So God, we need your help to live this way. So we ask it by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.